It's Overdrive on TSN 1050 and on TSN 2. Mark Rowan for Brian Hayes alongside the O-Dog, Jeff O'Neill, and Frankie Corrado, who is bringing it despite the fact he thought it was Friday today and was ready to mail it You in. said you weren't going to say anything about that. I didn't promise you anything. That you betrayed is my trust. Sewer, sewer job they call in the business. <laughs> yeah, is it ever? Yeah, you just basically put me out to death. I wrong. just gave you a compliment Thank that you. you've That's been bringing nice. it, despite the fact that you're like this. Kind of feels like a Friday. It did feel like a Friday, and you were dipping your toes into maybe mailing it in, and you didn't. We don't at least you haven't so far. No, we don't mail it in. It's a tough go when you think it's a Friday and it's not. Like when you kind of jumble up a Tuesday or a Thursday. But going into something thinking, after this, I am home, free and clear, and it's only Thursday. It's like, a uh, tough one. It's like overtime in the playoffs. Oh, when you think you're done, and then suddenly there's a late goal, and you're sitting on the panel for another couple hours. Oh, my goodness. I've been lucky the last couple of years. Any kind of playoff ended quickly. I don't know why or how we've been that lucky. What kind of an attitude problem would you have if you got like a three overtime game at this? Very, very bad. Very bad. (laughs) Like, would everyone need to steer clear of you? It's just, you think about the time invested, right? Right. Because you're sitting there for, like, let's say it's a three overtime game. That's six hours of your life. That's six hours of your life for a three-minute hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of doesn't make sense, but you got to do it. <laughs> you got to do yeah. it, man. And you got to watch. You got to pay attention to everything. Well, Death Row, you've probably, you remember those oh, like, yeah. NHL network nights, even Sports Center. You get a late like playoff game that goes long. Yeah. It, you're it, in trouble. A, a, a Kings Ducks playoff series, which started at 1030. And goes into double overtime, and you're doing a full... You're getting home at 5 in the morning. You're doing a full segment? Oh, yeah. I'll it's... tell you what, though. I miss that California road trip being a gauntlet. I think that was really fun hockey, like playing in the league, watching the league. When you were going to play San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A., it was no joke. And those teams used to beat up on each other every single night, it seemed like. And they saw each other a lot. Those They would club teams from oh, the yeah. east and then club each other. You're right, man. It's it's funny how it changes because it doesn't seem like that long ago. You're like the West and that California trip is a death march. And now it's like, well, you got a game against L.A. and then the other two you better win. Yeah. It's crazy how that can happen. I know. I wonder, too, like back when those teams were really good, all their American League affiliates were in that East Coast, on the like on the coast, Massachusetts, New York State. Like they were all kind of jumbled up there. And it was like quick little bus trips to go play all those games. Now those teams, those American League teams, are all in California. It's flights to get to all these places, so you're missing out on practice time because it's all these commercial flights and the logistics of it. I wonder, like, I know those teams were good for a long time, and the cycle works that way where now you're not going to be a good team. But I wonder how much that has to do with those teams maybe not being or not, not developing as much talent as they used to. I'll tell you what, the job I want, assistant GM of the Coachella Valley Stingrays, or whatever they're <laughs> the called. The fire, Firebirds, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Like Palm Springs, give me the, give me a, I don't know. You like go, I'll, yeah. I'll do in-between period reports 
or something yeah. for the Coachella Valley. Well, you know, and then you, just tee it all day long. You know who you got to get in contact with? Your old world junior roommate, Jason Botterill, and then Troy Bodie. I feel like you have it in there. Could happen. Yeah, I could call Ronnie Francis and say, I want to oh, run. Oh, you know Ron run. Francis. What are yeah, you still wanna, doing here? I want to run the minor league organization in Coachella Valley. I don't want to put a ton of time into it, but I want to run it from what, a distance. What, what well, does running it, like, what does that look like from your end? Like, are you going to be, like, logistics? Are you scouting? Are you big picture stuff? Like, I will attend like? home games and make an assessment of the group. <laughs> just the group, not individuals? or just Well, the group obviously on individuals, but yeah. I think I'm smart enough where I could view the home games and make an assessment and update people on how certain guys are doing without traveling. And you cannot contact me throughout the day. Okay. I only start answering at 5 p.m. I wonder if Pooley did that when he was running. Like he was, he was well, running he had the, the Marlies. He had the pick of the whole league when he That's decided to come back as an executive. So for sure. bring in Pooley, you, you and I want to ask him in a serious manner. Okay. Well, let's welcome in our TSN hockey analyst, the one and only Dave Pullen. Great to chat with you, Dave. How are you? I'm very well. There's nothing like coming in halfway through a conversation when you have no idea what the topic is, and you hear your name, and then you, you know, and O is going to say, "I'm starting this off." I'm starting this off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. The question is, no idea. We have sat beside each other for a long time. I we consider have. us close friends. Absolutely. If you were running the Seattle Kraken, and I sent you an email that said. I would like to run the Coachella Valley farm team, but I don't want to put too much time and effort into it. <laughs> I would like to just live in Palm Springs and kind of make assessments. What would you say? Hired. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Hired. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you'd have to spend time there. You, well, I'd want you in Palm Springs. That's right, and I only want to go to the home games, and I'll give updates on players and how they're kind of maturing and getting along, and that's my gig. Would it's, you you're, you're would hired. you go on the ice? Would you be an on-ice after-practice guy, or are you just eye-in-the-sky strictly? Well, the most important question is, what time is practice? Because I have a lot of other stuff going on well, that you, involves... Well, you're the boss. You're the boss. Yeah, like, that's pra right. The practice revolves around your tea time. So if you yeah. tee it off at like 7... Let's say a 4 p.m. afternoon practice schedule. <laughs> okay. There's no way. So, okay, so you're playing, you're no playing 36 holes, then you're getting to practice... No, that makes total sense to me, oh, because that's closer to game time. I don't know why guys practice in the morning and then play games at night. It doesn't make sense. Because guys will sleep in. They'll sleep in till noon, Pooley, don't you think? Oh, he's got a whole new program going. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, I'm going to look into that post-retirement when I leave TSN, which well, think, who knows when know that what? will be. Coachella Valley would be, that'd be just a nice place to hang out. You know, you get the mountains there, you get good temperature you i think you'd be great there Pooley, was that your like was that your schedule when you were the gm of the marlies obviously you you had a role with the leafs but you were running the marlies did you just kind of give certain assessments or were you a, a little more hands-on yeah i was a little more hands-on and, yeah. and oh would be too see he'd get there and he talks like you know it wouldn't be his focus but he'd get involved and i'd been beside him on the panel he gets into it and he'd be locked in It'd be just a temptation to getting them out there that would be good. You know your people. Yeah. I do. You, you got to know your guys.
Good to know you guys. Uh, should be a pretty good one tonight between the Bruins and the Oilers. Um, you know, this this Bruins team, uh, it, it's historic. Now, where do you put them in sort of the pantheon of great teams? Pierre brought up the, the Canadians of the 70s. We were also bringing up the Red Wings from the 90s and the early 2000s. Like, it, it, from what you're you're talking or the people that you're talking to around the league are they in that category before doing anything in the playoffs or is there some hesitation because of i don't know if it's all mark or i don't know if it's because there's so much parity but where do they rank at the moment no i don't think it i don't think it's their goal canning i don't think that's a point of conversation at all I, I i but i do think winning in the playoffs is is the ultimate and you know, I think of, of good teams I played for. We had 119 points one year with no, you know, no, obviously no points for losses or, or that. But, um, and that was a really good team. And I think of how easy that year was to cruise through. Like, you just cruised. They've lost eight games this year. Mm-hmm. And you just think about that. And, you know, I looked at the first half of the year and they lost like four. And I thought, wow, what a first half of the year. And then they only lost four in the second half of the year. So, you know, to have 103 points after only playing 62 games, it, it's a crazy thought. And I, I do think they're for real. I also, when I look at them, think about how many things have to go perfect for this to happen. And and the kind of good fortune you have to have and Krejci coming back and playing well. And, you know, even the Hall of Zaka trade to fill out that second line, Zaka's been really good for them and Bergeron to come back, and the guys that were banged up at the start of the year that we didn't even think were coming back, not only come back, come back early and play great. And the Lindholm trade last year that gives them two elite defensemen in their top pairing. And so I I just, they've had a perfect storm, but they've built their perfect storm too. And I think they're that good, guys. I really do. Because they can play any type of game. They can go up and down with you. They can bang with you. They can... They can get a little nasty if they have to. Um, they've got all the components, and they've got two goalies. I mean, we we talk about Allmark, but Swayman's he's as good a backup as there is in the league, if mm-hmm. you call him that. I mean, he is. So now you can play Allmark when you want to, and you know you can get Swayman in there a lot. You've got that backup if anything happens. So from top to bottom, I do think they're that good. And, you know, it's interesting because we obviously watch a ton of hockey, and you focus – you know, I work in sort of the loop of our teams, and the most I do are Toronto, Montreal, and do Ottawa quite often, and I'm involved with Winnipeg. So you watch those teams with a certain focus, but you look at the schedule and and you pick games, and you'd say, okay, well, I, I got to make sure I find out what's going on in that game tonight or that game. I'm really looking forward to this game tonight between Edmonton and Boston. Like, really looking forward to it. No vested interest, just watching a really good hockey game, and I want to see how the bigs play for Edmonton. I think Kane's coming back in this game. And, you know, I wasn't all for the Kane signing, but boy, oh boy, he's become a big part of that group. And Ekholm is good. And he's going to be a good addition for them. You mentioned the goaltending with the Bruins, Pooley, and the Buffalo Sabres. Kevin Adams, I think, has done a remarkable job of piecing it together after Eichel left. How much would it suck to look at Allmark and what he's doing because you would have to think next year or the year after that's going to be the last piece they want to put together to be real serious and you're having a guy that you let go in Boston winning Vesnas. I don't understand that one at all I don't know who made that decision 
And then I thought, okay, well, okay, well, let's really dig down on on Buffalo and how he was there. Like he was over five hundred as a goalie on a really lousy team. Even and if he sucked, O'Pooley, it would still. But he didn't it would suck still. Though. I know, but even if he did, it would still stink to look at him now and say, "Oh my God, we're going to need a goalie." And look how good that guy is. And you could buy that if he had really been lousy in Buffalo, but he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, his last year there, I think he was three games over five hundred, and he had a like a nine fifteen or a nine eighteen save percentage, and that was a lousy team. And he was twenty seven years old. And so I don't get it, it you know, 6'5", 215 pounds. So nothing to me about that. And you're right. Kevin Adams has done a nice job there, and he's got out of some difficult situations, the Eichel situation, and they've made good decisions, and they've, they've done a nice job there. But, man, that one, I, I'm assuming he got advice from someone on that. Oh, because he would have been pretty new in the position, right, when he got in there. And I'm assuming he went to his goalie guy and said, you know, what about this guy? And whatever he got, whatever information he got, it, it wasn't very good. Because <laughs> that's a good goalie and they're hard to get. Now, you know, his perfect world is this Devin Levi, who he picked up in, uh, I believe, the Reinhardt deal, was a Florida draft pick, the kid that was in the Olympics, uh, or the uh, World Juniors, rather. If he comes through, he's having another good year at Northeastern. If he comes through and you know, ends up being the guy for them in the future. But, man, I, I don't understand that one at all. Pooley, we talk about certain benchmark games as things coaches will refer back to, both positively and negatively. One of the other things coaches like to look back to is points of adversity throughout the season. And when you look at Boston, like the only thing I can think of is they lost three in a row before the All-Star break. Then they beat the wheels off Toronto going into that break. Like, do you believe this team has faced enough adversity, or is that maybe a little overrated that you need to face some adversity before you head into the playoffs? No, I think that team has enough. They have enough street cred. I mean, they've been around long enough, and they've. I mean, they've still got they've still got a couple of guys that have won the Stanley Cup in 2011. But losing to St. Louis in the finals, there's still a good portion of that team there. Uh, they've been through enough. I don't. I don't think that's an issue. And I also think there's enough caginess in that room when something happens and enough different points. And it's interesting because their real superstar, I guess now their their biggest superstar doesn't even play on the first line. Mm -hmm. And that's David Posternak. So think about that. Who are they matching up against? He gets good matchups. And he's playing with Krejci where his comfort level is really high. But I think the guy that put them over the top and as good as all those players are, I think that Hampus Lindholm, put them over the top in terms of balance things out and, you know, and let guys play ever... in, in their role better. And, and that's just a flat-out good hockey trade last year. And I know it was a trade deadline deal, and he was a UFA, but they signed him right away. Man, he puts them over the top in terms of just having a really good player there. He's a big guy. I mean, uh, he's six foot four. He's a big guy, and, and he's hard to play against. And he was kind of under the radar out there in Anaheim. But that just gave them another piece and you know, let alone Orlov and and what they added at the trade deadline this year. Uh, Pooley, the Leafs are coming off an impressive win against the Devils, and I know Ryan O'Reilly's out with an injury, but the, a lot of new pieces for Sheldon Keefe to work with. How much is, is now in the end of the regular season about getting your team playing well together, or how much is it playing well for an opponent that is the Tampa Bay Lightning? 
I don't think you can just focus on the lightning. You've got to play well and you've got to put the pieces together. And, you know, we think we know what the pieces are because we sit and watch them. But Sheldon Keefe's the only guy that really knows what the pieces are and what he envisions. And even on defense, he's got to get his defensive pairs lined up and going. I, I think he's got to get maybe the most important piece right now is Morgan Riley to get him back on track, guys. And the track that, you know, when he's playing his best hockey, then he's been out of sorts a little bit. And, and if you're starting on defense, that's who you're starting with. You know what you're going to get from Giordano, and and um, and I think Morgan Riley's the guy. I think you get him straightened out, you get him on on target, you get him back on in sync. The other piece has fallen. I got no no issues at all with with um, with Matthews or Marner or Nylander. I, I think you have a little concern about Tavares with this latest, you know, couple of bangs. Um, but I think he'll be fine too. So it, it's more about the defensive group, and the defensive group for me is led by Morgan Riley. Well, Pooley, as as a coach, I'm sure you know this, but you can only put players in positions to succeed. It's up to them to do it afterwards, right? And that's been the, the, the struggle here with Morgan Riley, missing so much time, being hurt, trying to get up to speed. And if you look at his ice time, like it's dropped and he's not playing shorthanded minutes and he's not necessarily the matchup guy anymore. Is that the right role for him? Is that what you would do? Is that like how you maximize Morgan Riley now that you have a few more uh, tools to work with on the back end? No, I think you go to Morgan Riley and you have a conversation about when he's been at his best and why he's been at his best. And I would fully assume that that's happening with a veteran like that and a coach in Sheldon Keefe. And when was he at his absolute best? And and who was he playing with at that point? And why did he feel like he was playing at his best? And, you know, th- there's a thing about minutes. And I first learned it in basketball when I was in Philadelphia. And they had a player. He was a sixth man. He was a guy off the bench. His name was Bobby Jones. And 48-minute game in basketball. And Bobby Jones played like 22 minutes. And I said, well, why don't you play him more? And they said, well, it's exactly his number. Mm-hmm. And he did. He was a diabetic, I believe, but um, so there were some health factors. But they said, and he was he won the sixth man like every year in the NBA. And I go, why don't you play him like thirty eight minutes? They said that's not his number. And so there's a number for each guy, and I think Morgan Riley has a number, and it may be a little bit more than less, and and a little bit more responsibility. But you know, I, and maybe even take it back a couple of years. I mean, he had seventy plus points the one year. Like, who was he playing with? How was he at his best? He played every game. Um, 20 goals and 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 try and recreate that form and and i think that's a very doable thing pooley want to switch sports for a second uh if you're the gm or just an executive of the team and your player sounds off like fred van vliet did last night on an official what's your reaction uh bemused i think <laughs> i think that's a good word are and, you paying the fine for him pooley uh, <laughs> i might be because i'll tell you what nick nurse does his share with the with the linesman or the officials rather he's always going do you think he's something. a factor in it pooley like the coach how much he gives it to the refs and he could kind of create that type of angst against the ref i do I do. I think you've got to be really careful when you're the coach, and I think you've got to pick your spots. You can't complain about every call, particularly in basketball, because there's a call on every play, and you just can't. And, man, those guys are human, and, and you know. I mean, there's a couple guys in the, in the NHL right now who, who's, uh, 
Who's David Quinn got it going with? He's got it going with Gord Dwyer, I believe, right now. Well, Keith and, then, and Wes McCauley seem to always go at it here. Well, and Paul Maurice has his guy, too, that he carried over to the new team. Um, <laughs> so he, he brought him with him. He apologized to his team, and he goes, this has nothing to do with you. He hasn't liked me for years. Uh. So, But, man, that's a... You can't do that because you're going to need that guy at some point. And, you know, you look down, you, you go into a big playoff game, you look down, that's your guy. Um, Freddie Van Bleet was funny, though. There's no bones about it. And, you know, there was just, there was no bones about well, it. Well, spe- speaking like a guy who's gotten it, paid, right? Like who's gotten his well, contract. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't follow it closely enough to know the specific characters he's talking about. I think I know one referee's name right now, and it's Scott Foster. Um, and I know he's always involved, but I don't, I don't know the characters that they're talking about well enough. But Freddie said it's like one or two every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that think they're larger than life and can take over the game. And, and, you know, we went through phases when I played where, you know, we did. I think there were officials at certain points that thought the game was that people were there to, to watch them. And, and I think you do get certain guys like that, but I think they get through it and they mature and, and get to a certain point where they understand it's uh, it's actually not about them. And the less they're heard of, the better off they are. Pooley, what's a more compelling storyline for you right now? Is it Calgary, Winnipeg in the West, or is it the teams like the Islanders, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Ottawa in the East vying for that final playoff spot? So I think somebody from below the line in the East gets in. I still know who it is. And... You know, I, I, it may be an Ottawa or Buffalo. I think I think one of those two gets in. The Islanders have had a good run, but I don't know if they can hang. Um, so, so one of for me, the Islanders or Pitt are coming out, and I think it's the Islanders. I think somebody's going in. And out west, it's quite quite interesting because we, you know, you just mentioned Calgary and Winnipeg. Nashville has a better winning percentage than Calgary. Mm-hmm. Nashville's got four games in hand on Calgary. They're two points wow. back. And because they traded out of it, it's seemingly right, at the deadline, then, you know, they traded Granlin, they traded Janot, they traded Ekholm, and then. But it seems like when there's one team that does that, where the guys get together, they don't have Johansson right now, so they're without Johansson, Ekholm, Janot, uh, and Granlin. <laughs> they're without four guys who... You know, we're all good players for them. And, and I think the rest of the guys, and, and some of them, you know, I'm hard-pressed to, to know much about them. And it seems like they've just kind of got together and they could ride their goalie here. So I think, I'm not sure it's Calgary. I think it might be Nashville that's wow. going to give Winnipeg a run for their money. What a story that would be, being sellers at the deadline and uh, getting getting some assets for those all those names that you listed off and then getting in. Um Quite the uh, the handoff to Barry Trotz for next year if he's uh, inheriting a playoff team. It could be totally possible. And, you know, Vancouver's played much better under Tockett. They're too far back, but they've played much better under, under Tockett. You just look like the other night, I think, on a given night, I think Vancouver, San Jose, and Chicago all won their games. And you're like, okay, don't forget about us. We're still here, <laughs> and we're going to be a pain. And Montreal's been a pain for everybody lately. So it's uh, it's always fun at this time of year, and it's also annoying when teams that were really lousy all year start to play well now, and you look across them and go, where have you been all year? Like, what are you even doing right now? They're playing loose. Yeah. They're playing yeah, with nothing to exactly lose. Right. Yeah, wow. nothing to lose. 
Tough to evaluate your team too. It's like evaluating a baseball team in September. That's 10 don't games tell out. don't tell the players that want roster spots for next year that it's tough to evaluate because yeah. those are the guys that are playing hard <laughs> right now and they want to go into that exit meeting and be like, all right, I'll see you at training camp. Like, yeah, just you're not smart enough to understand that that's a crock of baloney. Like, <laughs> Funny, that's the look. only leg you have to stand on when you're. I one love of these guys. that one. You guys that want a roster spot next year, you better step up. <laughs> I used to just shake my head and be like, "There is no spot." Oh, yeah. I used to tell. We used to have this little these a fourteen round robin tournament to start off under Keenan, and you know there'd be a black team, an orange team, a white team, and a baby blue team. Okay. In Flyers jerseys, a baby blue team. And he would give me the baby blue team every year, and I'd have like <laughs> three NHL players. And, and I'd have a 160-pound Gord Murphy who was 18 years old. And I'd, I'd walk in that locker room and I'd say, guys, we're playing for contracts. We win this round, Robin. We are getting contracts, guys. We're going to get contracts. And, and I'd have them over to the house, and we'd win that tournament every single year nice. and i convinced those guys they were getting contracts and hey gordon murphy got a contract he had a career who knew there you go there you have wow. it awesome stuff as always pooley uh and enjoy the games uh this week and this weekend enjoy the players championship i'm sure you'll have an eye on that oh and- that's on the tv here right now don't worry I'm, I'm keeping track of the course that O dominated that's right that is what it's called the course that O dominated i love it I awesome love stuff it. thanks dave appreciate it have a great night, guys. Thanks. There you have it. Dave Pullen, our uh, hockey analyst, giving uh, O a few shout-outs there. Yeah. The course that O has dominated, and you got a job if he ever gets hired with the Seattle Kraken. Coachella Valley. It's, I don't even know what Coachella Valley is, but I know it's in Palm Springs, and I would like to work there. Yeah. I've never even been there. All I know is there's a crap ton of golf courses. I would love to see you at that music festival too, that Coachella music festival. No, wearing the headbands and well, that's where uh, I cannot do crowds. I can't do porta potties. (laughs) I can't do any of it. I can't. I can't. I can't. Well, that's where Indian Wells is being played right now, and they call that tennis paradise. Right. For oh, it's going to be hockey vacation. Well, death row. Why didn't we have? separate vacations we'll go to coachella mm-hmm. you can watch the tennis yep i'll tee it up yep. and we meet for dinner i love it good stuff we got this all planned uh coming up after the break josh lundberg will get his reaction on uh, fred van vliet's comments and the raptors continuing this road trip which has been we knew it was difficult and we knew it was some tough opponents but uh they have found some ways to lose a few of these ones uh, so that's coming up. Overdrive, TSN 1050 and on TSN 2. JP. Coming in with the bad blood between Fred Van Vliet and the officials, I assume. I think it's pretty timely, don't you? Yeah, of yeah. course. Got Lewenberg coming up. There's You're- a new restaurant in Chicago, a Taylor Swift-themed restaurant called Bad Bloods. Ooh. It's for single people that have just gotten out of a bad relationship. <laughs> Look at... Look at E-Talk-O e here. JP, wow. you have to Google that, and maybe I didn't just dream that. But where I'm did... Prit- where, I don't know. Where did I you heard, see that? Dude, I didn't see it anywhere. <laughs> I heard it. JP, you have to dig that up, that information, and please don't call where, me a liar. And where? It's in Chicago? I think. 
Allegedly. Okay. Well, this is, this is something that comes through one of those leaf text chains on the dark web. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, let's let's welcome in our next guest, Raptors reporter Josh Lewenberg, who uh, goes to Chicago on the road sometimes with the team. Josh, um, the next time you're in Chicago, will you investigate this Taylor Swift themed restaurant called Bad Bloods? I did not know about this. This is the first I'm hearing about it, but my wife is a big Taylor Swift fan. Not so much personally, but. Um, yeah, after I after I get my popcorn in Chicago, that and, and deep dish pizza, those are the first two stops. Then I'll check out Taylor Swift. Jay Lou, what do you make of Freddie and his comments, buddy? <laughs> I mean, he is it something to talk about? If nothing else. Yeah, I know, but is it like we were talking about it earlier? Is it are these like bad team comments? Like, does this only happen when a team's not that good, or is this a buildup of the Raps actually thinking they're getting screwed? I do understand that there are players that think the refs are having a personal vendetta against them. Just what's the overarching comment about what what you saw last night? Yeah, well, I, I think that's most players and teams and fan bases. Like, everyone thinks they're being screwed by the officials, but, like, not all 30 teams could be getting screwed by the officials. Or maybe they are, but if that's the case, they're all being screwed equally, right? I mean, listen, the, the numbers do not back that up. I, I was looking at them today, and I'm actually surprised. I, I figured the Raptors would be a lot higher in terms of fouls committed just because of how aggressive their defense is. But they're actually in the middle of the league in terms of the amount of fouls that have been called on them. They're 12th in the league in free throw attempts and 12th in the league in limiting free throw attempts, which is both above average. So, yeah, that's not anything crazy. And, yeah, there are going to be nights where there's an imbalance in fouls and free throw attempts as there was last night against the Clippers. But I'm always surprised when the first reaction is, well, let's blame the officials for that. I mean, sometimes the officials are to blame for that. But they're not Oprah. You get a foul and you get a foul. Like, their job is not to divvy up fouls equally. There are some nights where the Raptors are fouling a lot, right? Because I mentioned it, they, they are a really aggressive defensive team. And on nights where they're not especially sharp and they're not defending the way that they should be defending, they do. They commit a lot of fouls and they put teams on the line. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think in some ways, listen, it, it's convenient right now, today, that the narrative is, well, Raptors versus referees when the Raptors didn't play well enough last night. And that's been the case most of the season where, I mean, I know there was a lot of disappointment after that loss to Denver, and, and obviously the, the attention was on the officials there because of how close the game was down the stretch and the controversial um, ejection of Scotty Barnes. But the reality is, if the Raptors played as hard as they did that night in Denver, most nights over the, the past four months, they wouldn't be in the predicament that they are now. The record wouldn't look like it does now. So I, I think, yeah, a lot of it is frustration that's stemming from that. And a lot of it is, some, some of it is justifiable too, right? Like, I think the crux of the Van Vliet argument is not necessarily like, oh, well, the calls are not going our way, but he, he's mentioned the way that some officials are carrying themselves on the floor with an arrogance or a self-importance, an ego that's leading to some of these really soft technicals and, and in some cases officials taking over games. And I see that too. I, we all do. I, I agree. That's a problem around the league. And that's a big conversation. I don't know that Fred donating his money last night is going to change things, but 
clearly he was emotional and frustrated. Well, if enough players are talking about referees, like you hear Fred, we hear Ner- Nick Nurse a lot, Scotty, even Marcus Smart kind of saying now, I'll just let Fred do the talking. Like, does this lead to some kind of referendum on referees and how they're going to operate? Because it seems like, by the way you're describing it and the way things are going on, it's like there's a few referees that are very emotional, may have a chip on their shoulder, and would the NBA ever step in and kind of reprimand those guys and tell them, like, this stuff can't happen? I mean, maybe that's something that becomes a point of emphasis over time if enough people are talking about it. I just don't know if you're Fred Van Vliet, and certainly if you're the Raptors, that you want to be putting your face on this cause, right? Like, you're not going to win this battle. And and it's not even one that you want to get into or that you want to win because, yeah, there's no question that there is a strain in the relationship between officials and players in this league, and specifically when it comes to the Raptors, Certainly this week, that's been a hot topic of conversation is the relationship between the team and the officials. But it's a two-way street. Like like I said, I don't agree with some of the, as Fred put it yesterday, power tripping that the officials do. They have to respect players and coaches. But that respect goes both ways, or at least it should. And players and coaches have to respect the officials. And the Raptors don't always do that. There aren't too many teams in the league that argue and complain as much as the Raptors. And I imagine that that's something that that wears on officials as well. So if there is a strain in the relationship, the Raptors have to look at themselves in the mirror. There are a lot of, I think Fred and and, and Pascal Siakam, they do it quite a bit. Scotty Barnes is a big issue too, because he's a young player. It's his second year in the league. He's not LeBron. Like one, he hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt with a lot of these officials, whether you agree that that should be a thing or not, it is in the league. But also, like Van Vliet and Siakam, they built a relationship with a lot of these officials. Not always good relationships, but at least like they know who they're dealing with. They know their audience. They know what they can get away with and what they can't. And as we saw in Denver, Scotty doesn't really know that yet. And he talks a lot more than I, I can remember any rookie or sophomore player having conversations with the officials. And then, oh, by the way, Nick Nurse has a lot to do with it as well, too. I, I think it starts at the top, and I don't think he sets the greatest example in terms of like letting some stuff go, playing through some stuff, because this is a team, we talked about the quality of this team right now, they're not good enough to lose focus as frequently as this team tends to lose focus when the whistle isn't going their way. We saw it in Denver, and I think we saw it last night against the Clippers as well. J-Lo, you talked about Fred's relationship being strained with the refs. What do you think his relationship is with the Raps and being here? Does he kind of have a look to you where he's somewhat almost surprised that he's still a Raptor, possibly disappointed? Just where where do you think he's at? Because I thought that there was going to be some turnover and some change, and that never came to fruition. So where do you think his head is at? No, I, I don't think he expected to be moved at the deadline for a few reasons. And as far as I understand, I mean, listen, it, it's been a few months since we've heard Van Vliet and the Raptors really talk openly about their future together. I think you probably have to go back to media day just before training camp when he was asked questions about, okay, well, this is your contract here. What's up? What's the plan for next summer? And they, at that point anyway, both Fred and Masai Ujiri were very open about saying, like, this 
is a, a long-term marriage. It's a long-term relationship. Yeah, they're going to have to figure out contractual stuff and there's going to be a negotiation and knowing the parties there, the side who's a shrewd negotiator and Fred Van Lee, who's a very savvy business person like that. That's not going to be an easy negotiation, but they've always said that their plan is to move forward together. Now things have changed considerably over the last few months, just given the season that the team has had and the, the season that Van Lee has had. I mean, he has turned things up, Recently, I think he's been pretty solid here over the last couple of months, but he, he's had a slow start. He's struggled with his shot, and I agree with you. Like, the body language isn't always great. There's certainly some frustration. We, we, he just spoke to the media uh, recently, kind of addressing his comments yesterday, and he did say, like, there, there's been a lot of frustration this year that he hasn't had in years past. I don't see that as being directly with the organization or a reflection of, not wanting to be here. As far as I understand, and I haven't spoken to Fred directly or even the, the organization directly, but as far as I've heard from people around the situation, their plans have not changed. They still intend to move forward together. The Raptors see Van Leek as part of their core moving forward. And Fred, yeah, like it, it's going to come down to dollars and cents to some degree, but I think he wants to be here as well too. But as we also know, things can change in a hurry in the NBA. J. Lou, uh, the Raptors will wrap up their road trip against the Lakers, who are uh, without the services of LeBron James. And it's funny that these two organizations are in the same spot in their respective conferences. And yet, you look at what the Lakers are, have been trying to build. Uh, how have you assessed how they've been able to handle the injury to LeBron James as they try to get that team into a playoff spot? Well, they've been pretty good. Like they, They've won, I believe, it's six of their last eight games. Anthony Davis has been a monster. It's been a weird season for him because when he's been good, and a lot of it has come with LeBron off the court, when he's been good, he's been really, really good. But he's also drawn some ire, too, as he has throughout the course of his career for either being hurt or not entirely reliable. And I, I still, I know they won a championship together, but I still don't really know about that pairing and, and how good they are together. I think that still kind of remains to be seen. Um, but I like some of the additions they made at the trade deadline. And they're a team that's hungry right now. They're playing for something as was the Clippers, as were the Clippers last night. I mean, that that's, one of the reasons why, like, if you're the Raptors, you can't be taking these teams lightly right now. As tight as things are in the East, they're even tighter in the West. Going into last night, there were three games separating nine teams in the West, with the Lakers and the Clippers being right in the middle of it. And that's why I said earlier, like, if you're the Raptors and people are talking right now about the officials, it's probably a good thing for them as opposed to talking about the fact that they're one for three on a road trip and, and could be one and four if, if they lose a very losable game tomorrow against the Lakers team that's playing well. That would be a disaster considering where this Raptors team is right now and how much is at stake in every one of these games. So, yeah, two and three sounds a lot better than one and four. This is pretty close to a must-win game for the Raptors given their situation. Awesome stuff as always, J. Lou. I appreciate you joining us here in Overdrive. All right, guys. Talk soon. There you have it. Josh Lewinberg, TSN's Raptors reporter. Again, it's the Raptors against the Lakers. 10.30 local time tomorrow night as the Raptors look to salvage a win on this road trip. Death row? Yep. Get us to break because we oh. got to play life or death row wow. after dark.
And there is a doozy waiting for us on the other okay. side. In oh. the chamber, a doozy? Oh, yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> when Frankie tells you to go to break, you go to break. Overdrive. TSN 1050 and TSN 2. A death row after dark. It's the first. It's such a fitting song. It's lovely. Yeah. It really gets me in the mood. <laughs> for a little for life. one more. <laughs> life or death row. That's uh, right. I've just been given... The topic here, and I understand why Frankie was uh, so excited. I could use another word, but you're very excited for this. Let O go first. I want the genuine reaction. Shoot from the hip. <laughs> oh, God. I know this is going to be the dumbest thing I possibly have ever heard. <laughs> the But da- go ahead. The Danny Dimes contract will look like a fair deal after the end of the next NFL season. Play it five times in a row, please. <laughs> One more. You guys know my take on this. I get it. Hayes has been beating it into me, okay? <laughs> beating it into me that you need a guy, and if he's pretty good, you're going to get paid. I just find it bizarre, like, a $36 million signing bonus, mm-hmm. when, you, when you start, like, pre-tournament camp or pre-season camps OTAs whatever they're called you know you don't have a chance to win the Super Bowl that's what I find crazy JP give me life wow I'll tell you why Brian Dable will find a way to turn this guy, even though he already kind of has laid the groundwork, he will turn this guy so into a real... you think he's going to be a Trent Dilfer type that can just manage the game and get the team to a championship? I, I, love, I love that comparison. Here's the way. other thing. Trent They're going to get this guy a few more weapons to work with, and he's. He, I'm not going to say he's elite the way some Cowboys fans may say Dak Prescott is, but if those two things happen, that contract will look pretty good. Case dismissed. (laughs) 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 If if I'm the New York Giants... You have to answer this with integrity, Death Row, not as a Dallas Cowboys fan. Give me the sizzle. No! If I'm answering it as a Dallas Cowboys fan, though, give me Simba. That's great. Yeah. Oh, as a Cowboys fan, you want him to what? I don't overpay understand. a mediocre quarterback, please. Well, yes. you got one yourself yeah, down there. I was in the just going to say, dude, you can't think that Dak Prescott's going to take you to the promised land. You can't he's, seriously believe that. He's he's better than Daniel Jones. TBD. I can't argue with that. I okay. can't argue with that. There you go. What if Daniel Jones what? end up ends up being better than Dak Prescott? Is it a possibility? We might have to retire life or death row. The only thing I agree out of chair. all the comments about the Giants, I think Dable's a real deal coach. Right. I really do. Hmm. He seems like a Belichick disciple of some sort. Wasn't he with Belichick at one particular point or another? Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's the only good one. He's the only good Belichick disciple that's well, been a head coach. Yeah, it didn't work out for other guys and continues not to work out. Right. He seems like he's real deal. And maybe he thinks that he can mold this cat into something special. And I hope it happens. When you're making comments on athletes, it's not like you have a personal beef against them. 
It's just what your own assessment is. Sure. I just I've never been a I, fan. I'm, I am yeah. fine with this contract. I love it. Overpay for Saquon you Barkley. Like Do you think it's a good bet, Death Row? For the Cowboys, it's a lovely bet. <laughs> oh, for the Giants. Great. No, I don't like. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I think Trey Wingo was on the show yesterday and kind of broke it down as it's really a two-year deal. It's not a four-year deal, and you don't like it's. Yeah. It's kind of your. We're not sure where we're going with this team. He was too good to get rid of him, but he, he's not. He's not an elite like top five quarterback as as O has pointed out yep. about Dak Prescott. Anyways, all right. Today's Predict best bets. Score. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> today's best bets are brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. We are taking the over at six and a half in the Devils Capitals game. The Habs are playing well, so we're going to take them at plus one and a half at home versus the Rangers. You'll be talking about that on Sports Center. Yeah, buddy. And finally, um, the the game of the night. Oilers, Bruins, we're going to take Connor McDavid to score anytime at minus 104. Today's best bets brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more and get your winnings fast when you download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Good Predict stuff. Predict the score of the Oilers, Bruins tonight, and the winner gets a lunch paid for by the other two guys. I'll go first, 4-2 Oilers. Oh, 4-2 Bruins. Damn it. Death row? <laughs> Five three Bruins. You heard it here. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you and I will be back tomorrow at four p.m. and we'll chat then.